Hi, this is Against Everyone with Connor Habib, a weekly podcast featuring my conversations with countercultural figures and presenting complex philosophical, spiritual, and political ideas in an engaging and accessible way. Well, friends, uh, this global crisis is presenting us with the undeniable evidence of the failure of our global economy and monetary system. And as we emerge from this crisis, I think that there's a tremendous opportunity to invent the economy. Why? Because that awareness of its failure has risen up in so many people's consciousness. And I really wanted to use the show to address what we should do, what questions we should be asking, and where we should be turning our attention. So I invited two of the most profound economic thinkers I know, uh, John Bloom and Connor McCabe, Uh, And partially I did it just to put these two brilliant people in conversations with each other. John is the organizational leader of RSF Social Finance, uh, which is an organization that seeks to transform our relationship to money on individual, communal, and global levels. He's the author of two books, Inhabiting Interdependence, Being in the Next Economy, and The Genius of Money, Essays and Interviews, Reimagining the Financial World. And he's also the General Secretary of the Anthroposophical Society of America, Connor, you may remember from one of my very favorite episodes of the show, Against Everyone with Connor Beeb 76, um, where we talked about the creation of money uh, and what it means and what it actually is. And he's also the author of Money <laughs> and a book, Sins of the Father, Tracing the Decisions that Shape the Irish Economy. Rather than talk about money as the root of all evil, we talk about money as a creative tool. Uh, We talk about it as a spiritual technology. Um, And we talk about how we need to uh, re-situate ourselves in relationship to money and economy. So is this local economies? Is it cryptocurrencies? Uh, We don't really go into that, actually, (laughs) because we decide instead it's a total transformation uh, of our relationship to economy and money, and that starts with each and every one of us. So we try to set up a series of questions and inquiries that leads us to totally rethink it and Uh, maybe even reinvent it. And that conversation goes in lots of interesting uh, places. Money is social technology, non-capitalist forms of money in capitalism, embracing capital while we fight capitalism, the different kinds of money, that's purchase money, lending money, and gift money, and how they relate to different psychic states and types of Uh, experiences of time, why nobody should be paid for their labor. I know that sounds uh, contentious. How capitalism expands by enclosure, sex work uh, as a kind of pre and post uh, economy and why that threatens capitalism and more. Um, Don't worry, it's super easy to understand. I know I get really intimidated by conversations about economics But both John and Connor are so skilled at breaking things down into an understandable way uh, and also a really interesting way. So uh, even though it's really challenging uh, as far as the content and the kinds of questions it's asking, it's still easy to follow along. And I think also really kind of fun just listening to these two guys talk with each other and I guess also me in in the mix there. This is the point where I talk about the money uh, that feeds the show and me, ultimately, uh, Patreon. And if you go to patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib, you'll be able to support the show. Uh, I should say Patreon 
is a system that really changed my life. Uh, people giving whatever amount they can each month and that feeding directly into uh, my ability to do this show and all the labor that goes into it. But it's not one-sided, right? It's not just uh, just throwing money at something and you know someone writing me a huge check to do the show. It's listeners. It's people that love the show, that find value in it, giving to it at the level that they can. And it's stable in this moment uh, where things are really scary for a lot of people. And I know so many of you might be facing difficulty, but uh, I also know that people have been giving more at this time. And it's generally at whatever financial level they feel comfortable at. And I think that's really demonstrating to me, I mean, it's making me feel really good, but it's demonstrating to me uh, that people understand that it's important to support the things that they value. And I really value doing the show and giving these kinds of conversations to the world. And I think they're helpful. I think they're useful. So if you also think that they're helpful and useful and you're able to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib and pledge at whatever level fits uh, your current situation. Um, I also, if you can't, uh, support it, that's totally fine. Um, but go to iTunes and give it a five-star review. You know, low ratings don't do anything. They don't affect the show or do anything bad to it. But, uh, you know, good rating, a five-star rating, the more of those I have, the more visible the show becomes, uh, on iTunes. And please do also subscribe on whatever platform uh, you want to. Okay, so that's it. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Connor Beeb. And you know the rest. I'm so excited to start this conversation. And I hope it starts conversations about new relationships to money and economy in your life. And that maybe you can carry that forward in your thinking because so much radical work has to be done. All right. That's enough of me. Uh, now back to me, uh, but <laughs> this time in conversation with John Bloom and Connor McCabe. Here we go. everybody. It's Against Everyone with Connor Beeb. I am very excited to be here, well, or whatever, with you, John Bloom and Connor McCabe. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. And uh, just so people know, um, Connor's the one, the Irish one, um, <laughs> and John is the not Irish one. Uh, so when you, if you've just listened for the first time, something you said the last time you were on the show, Connor, were, and, and is in your book, Money, where um, you say that capitalism is an invasion of the monetary system. And I think that that's a really great starting point because um, I really want to talk about reinventing money, rethinking money, um, and rethinking economics here today, uh, especially as we come out of the global crisis. But um, a lot of people are resistant from the get-go because, like me, for a lot of my life, I just thought that economics and money were horrible and evil and, mm. and shitty and all that. So maybe we can start um, there because I think it's a part of where things have sort of gone awry. So if you could maybe go over that again, that concept. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, it's something that um, I deal with, you know, you know, um, uh, in my book, but like um, it's this idea that money, it's a social technology as, um, 
as uh, as kind of Mary Meller would call it, um, that it's something that has developed um, as a way of um, distributing, you know, um, o- um, obligations, um, uh, resources, skills in any kind of like society that that becomes anonymous. So. If you've got a small kind of group of people, they can usually kind of share things through favors or through, uh, you know, um, co- you know, kind of social credit. But, but once you get to a certain stage, a certain kind of um, the critical mass where you're dealing with people who you don't know and, you know, you know, and you want to have maybe skills off them or kind of share things, then you need some other form of, of kind of social credit rather than just personal knowledge. Um, and I think this is where kind of money kind of starts to come in. I mean, it is kind of, you know, it's interesting how practically every every kind of society, when it got to that stage, it, it developed its own form of kind of credit struck money kind of systems. Um, so it seems to be something that's more akin to language in that um it's a it's a it's a it's a kind of technology that enables humans to work together when they don't know each other um and act as if they they do same as language does um and i find this idea extremely creative um it just opens up so many kind of possibilities then for money and credit and i'll use I mean, I look the greedy, they, they act on different things, but I'll talk to them, you know, just ask kind of money, but really it's money and, and the credit. Um, but then it opens up so many other alternatives, you know, because if it is this thing that is innate to large, complex human structures, such as a, such as a city or any kind of society, and that it serves a socially useful purpose in that, distribution, redistribution, payment, not only of goods and services, but of obligations, of favors, of uh, gifts, you know, um, that we can somehow reclaim it. Now, when I kind of study money, um, given my historical kind of Marxist kind of background, um, I can see where this idea, this kind of medieval idea of money that is kind of capitalism starts to invade that kind of money system. So like money systems go back thousands of years. That, that doesn't mean that they're always equal or that like they were always kind of a benevolent. Um, each society brings its own kind of inequalities and then money, it's no different and our kind of credit. But capitalism treats it in a much more different way. Um, it uses money as a way to to kind of put a claim on social resources through kind of private property rights. So it, so it says, these are actually mine. So it sucks it all up. So it takes that, it, you know, it, that kind of social wealth, um, it's monetized, and then it puts private property rights on access and our ownership of those kind of monetized set forms so that we get to a stage now where Am I right in saying, what was it? It's the top eight people in the world own half of the world's wealth or have, have control of half of the world's wealth. Am I right in that figure? Or, you know, it's in that kind of ballpark, isn't it? 
Yeah. Well, maybe John, you know, the answer to that, cause I'm not yeah. sure, but it's, it's something like that. But I know also that like, you know, John, you talk a lot about the difference between the kinds of exchange um, and interaction and the way that they have different relationships to the self, right? So whether it's, um, you know, uh, purchasing, which requires, which which doesn't require relationship exactly, you know, I mean, it, it should, but it doesn't, or um, lending, which requires a kind of conversation and then like gifting, which requires the imagination of the other, you know, as you give it to them. Right. So, um, I think that's what I'm hearing as a sort of bridge from some of the things that Connor's saying about the ways that money can function and some of the things that you talk about in your work and writing. Um, I think the first thing I'd really want to uh, focus on would be what I would call the distinction between money and capital, because you went right to the whole capital system and capitalism, but money and capital are very different things. So, um, and yes, money's been around forever, whether it was a big stone or a shell or otherwise, there's been many, many forms of money, means of exchange, means of storing value. Um, so, I'm just wondering whether we want to hold the thread of the distinction between capital and money and come back to this question of uh, the fact that money is not a singular thing. And really the problem, if I can call it the problem with capitalism, um, is that it has commodified money. And I think if one took money out of the realm of commodity, in other words, using it as a thing to buy and sell and trade and make money on top of money, mm. which um, really doesn't, in many ways, doesn't produce any true economic value. It produces more monetary value. Uh, so it appears that you're accumulating more and more, but it, it is not actually working in the economy in the way that uh, money was meant to be a a measure of the capital that's at work in the economy. Mm. So um, the thingness of money, it really needs to be reconstructed, deconstructed actually, I would even say, and rethought of it as first of all, um, money is not a singular thing. And so I'll come back to the original statement. So if it's not a singular thing, what what is it? Um, so, uh, there are three, really three forms of money. There's the purchase, loan, and gift money. So each of those has a very particular function in the economy. And um, often they're very mixed up and not really carefully thought through. And each of those forms of money is actually tied to a different aspect of the human psyche, I would even say. Um because if you and ask if you want to come and sell me an apple, I'm happy to. You know, if I if I'm hungry and I have a dollar and you want to charge a dollar for the uh, or a pound uh, um, for the apple, and I happen to have an extra pound and I'm hungry, I'm going to give you that dollar and you're going to give me the apple, and we feel like, hey, we both you know got something out of the deal here, uh, and in fact, actually, both got increased value because we received something for that money more than what we needed. We didn't need if we, since we didn't need the money and the hunger was more important, then there's value added in there. And you had an extra apple or you might've needed to eat it. So you actually got additional value. That actually begins a whole uh, sort of meta value chain that's going on in billions of transactions around the world. 
So that's one picture. The second is the a loan transaction. And that is really between mutual parties. And that is a relationship-based um, exchange, meaning for a purchase, actually, um, like if it's four o'clock in the morning and you need something at the hardware store, you can go do a self-checkout because you don't really want to see anybody anyway, right? <laughs> so you don't really need people to do the exchange. It's nice to have the relationship, but that is it's not a necessary part of that. And it's instant, it's over, it's done. When you're in a loan relationship, you're in a time relationship. So it might be a week, it might be a month, it might be 30 years uh, if you have a loan with a bank and a mortgage. So there's a certain mutuality that um, is critical to, to lending activity and the bridge of trust. Because if I loan you my money uh, to use for a project, I'm assuming that you're going to be productive with that and productive enough to be able to pay me back. So I have a natural interest in what you're doing and supporting you being effective because we, uh, your success is my success. And the fact that I have capital to make available is also um, uh, part of my success. So, um, and we could bookmark the whole question of interest because you raised the question of credit earlier, but that's a whole other story unto itself. So the third is really a gift and that really arises out of what I would call surplus capital that I don't need to feed my children, pay for housing or otherwise. And um, it tends to be the uh, what I would call the oldest form of money. So loan money ages over time and there are even aging reports and amortization that so the money's dying, it's losing its productive value because it's producing less and less interest over time. Um, and what happens with gift money is it's this little magic piece which is I have more than I need, so I give it to you. Usually what happens, like if you give gift to a charity, the charity spends the money right away because it needs things on its operation. So it suddenly turns that money back into purchase money and starts a very fast circulation all over again until that money moves and becomes productive and maybe gets given again or paid forward. So, um, And each of those transactions has a relationship to time. So purchase always happens in the present, as I mentioned. Lending always happens in relation to the past. So I borrow money, I buy the house that I'm in, or I buy the car, that happens. And then over time, I'm paying off for an event that happened in the past. So I'm paying interest for that. Um, and there's usually a time delineation, but gift actually um, has no time delineation. So if I make a gift to a school or I make a gift to a charity, they extend it, and yes, the, the gift is so consumed, but it's also transformed into capacity. So if I make a gift to a school, they build a building, um, the money's used up into building, but the gift itself is actually there to support the how many more generations of children will get to use that building as a result. And what will be the consequence of that? It's totally unpredictable in, in a time frame. Mm -hmm. So those are the three kinds of money that you were speaking about um but well, that's again different than capital but i'm going to stop there yeah let me we'll, we'll get to the capital part because i am really interested to hear you and connor talk about capital because i know it's it, it takes different forms in both of your work 
and also it's something that we're going to have to really sort of grapple with as we <laughs> go forward and try to emerge uh, into a world where we are creating something better um, and more worthwhile. Um, but I do want to just talk about the money and time thing because it seems to me like one of the things I'm really interested in is talking about the experiential and thinking about the experiential dimension of money. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I, I, I am just sort of learning and trying to think about economics and money for the first time in my life. And I'm 42 years old, you know, so I feel really late to the game, but. Um, That's about time. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> Wouldn't you say Connor, what have you been doing? Coaching him over there? <laughs> well, so I, you know, I mean, so I'm just been trying to sort of consider this and I'm noticing when I think about money and the experience of it and the sort of phenomenology of money, that there is a time experience there um, and money is itself in a weird way, a time sense. And so I like how you broke it down. But the, the economy there's an economist named, um, I'm not going to say his name right, I don't think, but it's Gaudenz Asenza. And he says that, you know, the economy is not predictive, but it's anticipatory. And um, I've been thinking about that too. Um, and on the episode where Connor and I talked before, we, you know, sort of broke down the different forms of uh, economies and the ways that they kind of made us feel and relate to time. But now... <laughs> it seems that um, the global crisis and world events have shifted our sense of time, certainly, and our sense of space, and have done a lot of sort of contraction and expansion, uh, a number on all of that. And so I'm wondering maybe if this moment where our time sense and our spatial sense has changed um, is giving us an opportunity to rethink now our experience of money yeah, I mean, well, like what I was thinking of, you know, like um, um, as you were talking there and like this may take it in a different uh, place. So feel free to kind of ignore and kind of go back on track afterwards. But like on your on your kind of comment around kind of money as capital or money as money or, or like money as as like social, you know, you know, as a social um, um dynamic like at the moment here in here in europe you know you know there's a big debate about how to pay for the coronavirus uh shutdowns so because the eu doesn't have has a central bank but doesn't have a kind of central federal government per se that has kind of tax rates and powers um what they're trying to do is is get the eu to borrow money from the private from kind of private kind of money markets instead of like just borrowing from its own kind of central bank. Um, that for me is a wonderful kind of example of where the EU is, is using this, this technology, this, this dynamic, this, uh, this social force called money, but it's using it really at the end of the day for, for private capital gain because those kind of private, those kind of private, um, financial kind of uh, systems they'll benefit from these loans whereas a kind of central bank that's 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 us borrowing from ourselves really um it's it's almost like they're they in in order to sell the idea of of brussels borrowing money 
they they have to put in the capitalist profit motive into the system in order just to get it past kind of some of the states here, you know? Hmm. But, it, but for me, that for me is like quite interesting because it shows up, first of all, that even in a kind of capitalist kind of society or, or the capitalist um, economy, there are non-capitalist forms of money. There are non-capitalist forms of, of credit mm-hmm. even today. Going back to like John's point, um, millions, or as John says, billions of interactions are happening across the world at this moment in seemingly capitalist kind of societies that are non-capitalist mm-hmm. and they involve kind of money. So there's much more kind of going on here. And that's what I find kind of fascinating. Once I started or kind of stumbled across money as a technology and as something just to kind of go back to the space and time, um, money moves resources, ideas, dreams across space and time through credit and, and like through loans, but, but, but it works in, in like both realms. This is a wonderfully creative, um, innovative tool. I mean, just like whoever, however they came up with it about <laughs> 5,000 5, years ago, 10,000 years ago. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. It's, it's, it's almost as like it is, it is as revolutionary as the wheel or kind of capturing fire. Like, I mean, like it, like it has this wonderful power and that has been appropriated by this very medieval idea of capital begets capital, that you use money mm-hmm. as an investment only in order to, like, as, as I say in my book, like, it, like, it, it, like a capitalist doesn't invest in chickens to get eggs. It, <laughs> he, invests in, he invests in chickens to get money back from them via the <laughs> selling of, of, of like eggs. You know what I mean? Like it's got nothing yeah. to do with the products. It's got everything to do with money, capital, begets capital. And as kind of a Wallerstein says, that is psychotic. Mm. Like hopefully, please God, uh, you know, in like 300 years time, 400 years time, humanity will look back in this era and uh, like the same kind of gobsmacked kind of faces as we look on, this, on the witch trials of Salem. And go just just what were you thinking? This is a crazy idea. You put all this energy into just making more money. It's madness stuff, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. So I just want to jump in there before you um, maybe respond, John. But I think this thing that you're pointing out, which is really fascinating, is the the proliferation of kinds of interactions or. Um, mm relations in the embrace of money and the economic sphere that are not the normal um, purchase or even lending exchange, but are gift exchange. Like, so for instance, um, I don't know if you saw this, John, but here, you know, we had this huge contribution from Irish people to Navajo uh, people, Navajo reservation. um, And it was, so there was like a GoFundMe and, you know, GoFundMe and Patreon, which I use and so on and so forth. They're, they're all, you know, they're imperfect, but they're pretty good at associating, you know, people <laughs> with each other in some sort of relational way, I think. But I, but basically, you know, in the, during the plague here, um, I think it was the Hopi gave Irish people like $150 or something at the time in the 19th century. Yeah. And so, there was this call out on uh, GoFundMe from Navajo uh, people and some other uh, indigenous 
people that were saying, you know, we need money because we're so affected by the coronavirus and the way that, you know, economic flows happen, you know, on reservations and stuff are much different than elsewhere. So a lot of people gave, but there was this huge outpouring from Irish people saying, you know, we remember uh, what, mm. remember what you gave to us. And, and the GoFundMe ended up making like millions of dollars, um, which was crazy. But um, I think that we're seeing, that's just one example of the many instances of gifting that are happening right now. And I am wondering if that has to do with a reorientation towards time. Um, and as you said, you know, gifting is sort of dislodged from the kinds of time dimensionality that we're used to um, with other kinds of exchanges. And so in that sense, um, that reevaluation is happening. And I think it's like, you know, we keep talking about what's, you know, what's essential, what's non-essential, what's essential, what's non-essential in this moment. And you said this thing, John, once that um, all economic activity is actually initiated by gift. And I think um, that is showing us, you know, well, we're sort of pulling things away that are non-essential, you know, um, in good and bad ways, because we some things that are non-essential are really beautiful and fun and amazing. But the, but the, the essential aspect of economic activity is revealing itself in this timeless gift form as uh, our sense of time and space also changes. You know, as you were speaking, the following picture came up for me, and I think it's, it's pretty relevant. Uh, so capital, which is actually um, the origin of the word is the head. Yeah. Um, Actually, economic activity, as you just described it, people's reaching across the ocean, recognizing the needs of other people, the mm. memory, right, mm. of what someone did and, and so that this almost global gift exchange, uh, it's almost like a potlatch in a way, is actually a, a relocalizing economic activity from the head, which is capital, to the heart, which is circulation. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so I, you see in what you're talking about as a, as a picture of heart circulation, right? Where that money and, you know, be interesting to see in the 19th century, what that $158 is probably equivalent to something close to what was raised now, you know, if you did it in, you know, the time, time uh, value of the money, It'd be very interesting to see that, that that actually is a kind of circulation and, um, a, a linking of what I would call a global intention, right? Because the true picture of economics is we are completely interwoven with each other, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, 100% inter interdependent. Um, and generally speaking, we, we maybe recognize that interdependence by um, manipulating one portion of it to extract something out of the whole. Right, so you get the capitalist economy, which tends to be very extractive, but one doesn't necessarily have to manipulate it. One could also, instead of standing outside it and extracting from it, participate in it, receive something and pass it along through the circulation. It's a very different picture, but that is much more of a heart picture than a head picture. Yeah, I mean, um, but it, but just on that um, example, I mean, it was the Choctaw, it's a Choctaw kind of nation. Back in 1847, during the Irish famine, and they sent 170 dollars over. And um, as as one of the Irish people who 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 gave money to the into the Navajo 
and Hoppy, we know that it's a different nation, but we still saw that as, you know, it, it's like, mm. like Native, that, that Native um, Americans, um, they, um, they reached out 173 years ago and, and now we're, and now we're kind of reaching back. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very kind of, um, it's a strangely emotional thing for Irish yeah. people because it is actually linked to the famine, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, hmm. but also, you know, there's that real, it, now this is outside of the topic kind of today, you know, but there is that kind of very stubborn anti-colonial streak in Irish people, you know, as, as, as well, you know? So, I mean, there's a couple of things kind of going on, but like, like I had a term, you know, I kind of give money back because, because I mean, that's who I saw. It was like, you know, this is me giving money back 180 years, you know, you know, kind of later, you know, even though it's not the like same nation, but it, it's it, like, it, 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 like it is, it, you know, it took kind of a native, to native um, Americans who stood during that time. So like, that is one example, a very powerful one. There's about kind of 2 million, I think, raised from Ireland um, of using money, you know, like in a completely, not only kind of anti-capitalist way, but in a kind of counter, counter-capitalist way, you know, even in like some way. And it's happening yeah. now, you know. Um, so like, we use money for the reasons you know which are much greater than just for what kind of wall street thinks or or or, or what kind of wall street uses and wants us to use kind of money for it, you know if we use it for that social beauty you know yeah well and and i i the picture of money as language i think is a very powerful one uh and and i um, I actually completely agree with it because it it does uh, money talks right. <laughs> we even yeah. say it money talks. Um, the problem sometimes is then the what I would call the inner condition that uses language for power over others, and the inner condition that says language is a is a tool of connection, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So there's a this the same issue of you how is it used. Um, how do we really understand it? Um, so I, I, it's a beautiful picture. What's fascinating to me about your your story there is that it's multiple generations that have remembered this. This yeah. is not like oh you know last year this happened. Well oh last year well oh. we got it. we're talking about 150 years. So that's maybe 10 generations. Yeah, you know. Well, so you how know. did that memory get preserved? Uh, well, you know, that's the Irish people. We we just never forget, you know. As well. um, but um, you know, there's that line that um, that the Ireland's problem is that um, it never forgets its history, and Britain's is that it never re- it never re- uh, remembers Irish history, you know. And mm-hmm. um, but like, yeah, I mean, like it's like it like it was extremely powerful because it's it's real. I mean, the famine is extremely real even in Ireland today. I mean, Ireland has to be one of the few countries in the world that has a, a, a smaller population now than it did in, in like 1845 or no, sorry, in, yeah, in like 1847. Like, like we still haven't gotten over it and we all know this. So, <laughs> so when, so when um, the kind of Choctaw kind of nation, when, when they kind of reached out, um, 
it just resonated, you know, even though, sure. again, I, like I will say it, it, it's definition. It did kind of resonate and it did feel like, well, this is our chance now to try and repay that debt. And it's a yeah. very, very interesting thing because like getting into kind of how we like there, there are just millions of words and on how kind of capitalism sees money, but there's very little, I think, on how people actually see money, which is not the same way. So we see, so we're paying back this debt that's non-capitalist, that isn't about kind of money, that hasn't really, isn't about paying them back in the 100 and, and like $70. It, no. it's, about, it, it, it's, it's about paying back that gift of, of we were stuck and you helped us out. So now it's their so, turn. Yeah, so, so can I just take a stab at reframing what you just said? Would that yeah, be okay? Sure. Please, oh, please do, because yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah, almost in, I'm almost in tears here, lads. I'm glad <laughs> this isn't filmed. You know, it's very emotional. <laughs> it is. Well, I, and I I completely believe it, and I'm I'm just staying with this picture. But I'm yeah. I don't know that I would use the language of paying back a debt because that is a very mm. transactional. Uh, it's a very transactional picture because. Right. The $172 that came and maybe saved a lot of people um, became productive. It circulated. It, you know, next generations came, next generation used productively that actually continued and circulated, built capital, surplus capital that was then available at the right moment to circulate back, right? And hopefully that will circulate again. So while one feels connected in a kind of moral, ethical relationship, right? of what you mm. made possible for each other, you mm. can't really link in any, any true economic way the debt to that, except a shared participation in something. Right? Absolutely. No, what no, you, no. Yeah, as what yeah. you make possible for each other. No, like, you know, like, you know it's a much better way of, of, of putting it. And, and, and again, I mean, that speaks to, um, you know, this idea of not, not kind of what is money, but... Or how do people interact? How did they kind of how like money allowed us to reach across a generations and say thank you? And that's sure. incredible. I mean, that is absolutely well, you know. I mean, like you know, like so, like but how that's the money of the social technology exactly. It's it, like it is. It is yeah. just it's uh, it's incredible that like you know I can't think of any other technology i mean this is this is a, this is a kind of time machine almost that's happened here <laughs> that yeah where we've actually broken the linear strand of one second per second we've gone back in time and we shook the hand of the brothers and sisters of the uh, Choctaw nation if not them themselves and said thank you and um that's mm -hmm. that was spontaneous that wasn't Mm -hmm. We didn't have to be bullied into that, you know. So, no, no. so that so, so that how the thousands of Irish people who gave um, you know money over the last kind of you know like month or so, how they perceive money is certainly cannot be the same way as 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 Wall Street, right. as this you know, like London or like banks themselves. Well, I mean, it, it's really, I mean, it, it's really an interesting story where it takes place in the timeline of what's happening here in Ireland too, because I think it was the next day there's this um, restaurant slash cafe slash theater in the middle of uh, Dublin called Bewey's. 
and it's it's kind of it is a cultural institution because they have theater there um it's just been there for a really long time it's it's a beautiful place and it's owned by property management uh company right that uh is is owned by this guy johnny ronan and um Basically, they shut down because the rents were something like 1.7 million a year or something crazy yeah. like that for them. 1.5, yeah. Yeah, and the and the rents are being, you know, are like continuing <laughs> for businesses during this, even though they can't stay open, right? So we had this like really stark um, juxtaposition of these two kinds of visions of money and you know and the economics sphere right and johnny ronan i mean he's interesting is interesting historically as well because he's been bailed out by the state here um you know he's he's had some tangles with the state in ways that didn't go his way but he's also been bailed out by the state here and so i think that we are very able to see you know and so i i just want to I'm really, I want to put these two things side by side, but then also move into sort of, you know, the darker, terrible shit that's going on with that um, demand of language that you brought up uh, when you were talking about language, John, where it's like, um, you know, people are being made to speak and hear in a certain way um, and in a certain tone. And I think that... um, it's that one-sidedness, you know, that's that's such a problem, and it's changing uh, everything into that kind of purchase, uh, that purchase form of money, um, where the, or, or at least the the impulse behind it, where no relationship is required um, to make demands and to have exchanges and transactions, and so um, I thought maybe let's put those two things next to each other and also, and, and recognize that um, we will at once have to sort of lean into kind of this idea of the gift and, um, and different forms of transaction and, and exchange and relationality, but also resist these other forms as well from people who are not very happily going to uh, give up their weird uh, quest for, you know, making money into money into money into money into money. Yeah. Um, It's like a tautological economy, which is very strange, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, wow. Uh, (laughs) Toledo. Um, (laughs) I think, and I'm just sitting inwardly trying to uh, uh, essentialize what you, what you've just framed. And um, part of me is saying, let's try to frame this in, a duality uh, between individual rights and community rights or social rights, however you want to frame that. Um, Because uh, if you look at the um, problems with capitalism, the economic system, the, the biggest problem is that the individual rights way outweigh what I would call social rights. So, um, meaning that I, capital is mine to accumulate because uh, my task is to further my self-agenda, right? Self-interest. That would be okay with Adam Smith and the Wealth of Nations, um, where self-interest is actually 
in a sense, has a natural balance with some community interest because you're going to see each other in church. There's some sense of morality and ethics that's still alive in the culture that says, hey, yes, I need to get my needs so that I can help others, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the wealth of nations picture. Um, but it's still a, a self-driven modality. And I think that that, um, that notion is still so alive in current economic activity, so alive that we have individuals accumulating and accumulating and accumulating and figuring out and devising um, innovative, I'll call it that, uh, tools for holding on to it even longer, right? So instead of just uh, uh, stock market investments, we get derivatives. And then there's hedge funds sitting over the top of that and dark pools of money sitting over the top of that, all so that I can maintain control over, quote, my money, as opposed to saying, I have more than I need. How do I put that back into the system? Which would be much more of a social right perspective, right? That yes, I have a right to maybe you know, live in a nice house and maybe I get to, drive a Ferrari or whatever, but how much do you really need? And I don't know that we've ever really had that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think, Connor, you pointed out, like, we don't even measure wealth in Ireland at all, right? So, like, there's not even a terms for how we would uh, <laughs> interrogate or ask somebody if they had too much here. Yeah, it's true. I mean, um, like, uh, like, property is like measured here, but wealth and like other forms of of non kind of physical property kind of ownership isn't isn't really measured here. I mean, you know, that gets into kind of historical kind of reasons itself as well. But like, you know, as like John said, I mean, like um like we have this resource, you know, we have this this energy, this like social energy that is stored in in money in the the entire kind of money system and it's being hoarded it's like they're kind of hanging on to all this energy instead of actually using it in in socially productive ways and they have accumulated it they haven't made this energy themselves they can't it's it, it, it's an it's impossible Mark Zuckerberg has not made 100 billion dollars worth of energy of like social energy he hasn't done that <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. but, but him and his company have got property rights on that, you know? So, um, like, I think that kind of, am I right, John? But is that kind of tying to what you're kind of saying, is yes. it? Or am I, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, so, you know, so it's that idea of, you know, you know, how do we, how do we use this kind of social energy in a social way and using kind of John's point, not in, in an individual, you know, uh, uh, accumulative way. I mean, like, like what came into my mind was um, at the moment, like it's in Ireland, but it's the same in in the US. There's a there's a huge need for investment in social kind of infrastructure in terms of hospitals, in terms of schools, and and and, and, and so forth. And what does Elon Musk do? He spends billion or millions uh, sending his car in, into space, like a vanity project. That, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> Like it's nuts! It's absolutely crazy. All that, like, it, it, there was one example, it, you know, that, that always kind of came into my mind. Um, uh, is a German Gross who was head of um, of Pimco, and um, guy was a, a multi billionaire. Like he would make easily kind of one billion or billions kind of every year, or whatever. And he spent that money on stamps. 
So he would he would collect stamps, and you know, and he very generously uh, donated his stamp collection. I think either to Boston or or, or like Chicago. Um, but like what he was doing was that he was making billions out of uh, shorten, you know, um, like the uh, the kind of bad debts of Greece and and of Italy and of Ireland and 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 kind of other countries that had to pay back, you know, bondholders like Pimco billions every <laughs> year, which then he then would spend on fucking stamps, like you know. <laughs> So, so, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, I mean, this is, this is the insanity of, I just used kind of John's point of, that this is social energy here. It's in a money form, but it's, but it's social energy. And it's being hoarded instead of actually being used. And that is, that's a sin. Like, like, like to get kind of biblical, but it is a sin, you know? So this is something too much, was it? Sorry. No, 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 no. I, it's, it's great. You know, like sin, sin means to miss the mark, right? Like that's the origin of that word, right? Certainly he's missing the mark by quite a wide, (laughs) pretty far field. A funny connection between syntax and syntax. Uh uh (laughs) So that's the language problem. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I think it, on sin. <laughs> so, something that John and I, well, John has sort of made this, you know, big part of his life and I'm just starting to really investigate it is the importance of separating economics as its own sort of um, organ in a sense from uh, the political uh, from the political sphere and then also from the cultural sphere so that conversations around economics um, and the kind of energy that you're talking about that uh, is associated with economics can sort of circulate and grow and change in relation to an understanding of itself um, and that you can become sort of uh, reflective. So wh- why am I saying this? Well, I, you know, I think that a lot of the problems that we would point out and talk to uh, or talk about are uh, problems of confusing economics for rights and how rights should be allocated and uh, and for questions of culture. A way to sort of link this into your work, Connor, is, you know, you said this really uh, interesting thing. And I don't know if you, <laughs> I don't, I don't think you had the social threefolding idea in mind that maybe I had been studying and John's been working on for a long time, which is um, where you said, you know, we should take debt and we should um, move it back into the financial realm in our current situation. That is, we should move um, debt into uh, the European Central Bank, and they should be able to contend with it in their own sort of economic system. They should have to face it down, um, talk over it, consider it, and deal with it, rather than having uh, an increase in state debt or state bailouts and all this kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think I find um, that kind of solution really invigorating and, and exciting rather than doing a traditional uh, socialist or Marxist turn, which is to say that the state should be regulating um, the economy more deeply uh, in, in certain ways. And so, and I, I know I haven't gone into these different spheres that much, and I don't know how much time we have to get into the whole threefold social order or whatever, but I do think that there's something in this. Um, I think that it clears up a lot of questions, say, about 
labor and the idea that we pay f- people for their labor, which seems like actually you can't really do that. You're trying to exchange a commodity for somebody's rights um, and the right to do with what they want with their day and the right to pursue things that have meaning and value for them. Um, or land, you know, um, land is not a commodity, you know. Um, mm. I think it clears up a lot of things when we start separating these concerns. So rather than go headlong into that, maybe uh, just put it on the table. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it could maybe kind of, you know, say something that hopefully might just tie into John's work anyway, is, is, is that, you know, if I'm reading kind of, you know, John's work right, um, that, um like taking your point there about the 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 individual and the collective or deal of social and and also you know how the left normally thinks about kind of money or you know how to kind of deal with debt and issues of the credit um it too has taken in some ways they they kind of kool-aid and sees money through kind of capitalized eyes which is which is sometimes un unfortunate um but um when when we look at when the left in that kind of broad kind of way looks at kind of solutions in terms of money, it tends to take a very centralized statist view of how to deal with these issues. So as you said there, Connor, um, it tends to look at the, the state kind of intervening and, you know, doing stuff around credit and debt and so forth. What is much more interesting is how do we democratize money? Mm-hmm. How how do we and, and and I think if I reckon John's work right, does it does this tie into marketing your work now, John? Is it you know how do you how do you democratize kind of money systems? Not like how do you put more social ownership over what is a social energy and, and you know something that is produced kind of socially? How do you democratize that? Mm-hmm. So. Um, the ECB and debt, yeah, I mean, like that's probably for another day. But it does speak into kind of solutions, and you know, how do we get? How do we move towards instead of thinking around this kind of democratic centralist view of how states should uh, should work? How do we move towards a more participatory, uh, democratic, uh, grassroots kind of horizontal view? of money if not kind of money systems i still believe that that is a role for the state in terms of a money system but only in its in its kind of bare bones kind of um uh, like elements in terms of the social energy which flows through that system how do we democratize that energy so that it gets used for socially productive purposes and not to send uh tesla cars into space you know yeah well so uh, two separate pieces. One is who has the right to issue money, and that you've landed mm. in a sense with the with the government, and that uh, and it's basically uh, put into existence with debt on it, right? E- even if it's in some cases mm. negative interest these days, I think, yeah, but still, yeah, yeah. right? But it's issued already with debt, so so um, the notion of scarcity is inherent to that kind of economic thinking because you need to make more money to pay off the interest on the money that you borrowed. And, and that's a very centralized, top-down, authoritarian, I'll even say male-centric view yeah. of economic life. Definitely. And that is highly, look, it hasn't, I mean, look, what it's, look where it's gotten us. <laughs> um, uh, so 
so the question there's two questions in here one is is there a way that we can find to work with uh governmentally issued currency let's call it that fiat currency um Ireland's still not on the gold standard, is it? <laughs> Sorry, no, that was a joke. No. That was a joke. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well, uh, austerity is is the gold standard. Um, yeah. by, <laughs> by, can other, uh, by other means. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. So, um, uh, so, so two things. One is how can we work with a system that is still, in a sense, that that centralized authority is issuing a currency, but can we find some social forms that can work with that currency that acknowledges that, but still says everybody who's in the system, and that's all of us, because we, you know, it's like trying to talk to a fish about water right they're so in the system you can never kind of get outside we're all in that system one way or another but how can we bring more consciousness to how we are and where we're situated uh and empowered in that system mm. so uh, i'll just give one very concrete example um this, this is an rsf example so once a quarter, we bring together the investors who actually lend us money with the borrowers, that's the social enterprises that use the money, and us, we're the intermediary. And we have a conversation every three months, once a quarter, about what the interest rate should be for the next upcoming quarter. And we hear each other's stories and the, you know, investors might say, well, you know, I, I really need a little bit more. I can't live on this, et cetera, et cetera. Or, uh, a, a borrower who you know naturally shows up to say you know if I can work the system to pay less interest I'm I'm good. Um, after hearing stories, I've actually heard borrowers say you know now that I understand that uh, you know it's your money that's made what's made possible for me, I'd be willing to pay. I can think I can squeeze maybe another quarter percent interest out of the, my operating fund so that you can get your needs met. And I've also heard investors, and particularly recently, saying, you know, a half a percent interest drop is going to mean, let's say, $100 a year for me. But for you, that could be, you know, in aggregate, uh, uh, that could be a whole position that you could keep to keep your enterprise going. That if you have to pay that, then, you know, you're going to have to make some hard business decisions. So the, the conversation gets to be real because the consequences get to be visible and so the decisions are made out of what feels right on a very human ethical moral level and uh you know and we we have a share of the revenue stream between the two and we have to keep our lights on and people say do you really need that much to us and we have to be able to make the case of why it's yes or no or what could we give up you know in that and it's quite um it's a profound conversation because for the first time i actually see people connect the dots in real economic activity. Like mm -hmm. I now know who's using my money and the consequences of my needs have the, the consequences that my needs have for that other person. Yeah. Can and I, I just want, yeah, sorry. Sure. To, I want to ask you a question about like when you think that mediator, basically RSF, <laughs> when you think that mediator it, is necessary in this process? Cause like, as you're talking, I'm thinking about how, like when I was doing sex work, you know, when I would have like a client who was, who was like a repeated client, 
uh, sorry to, to to pull you guys into the brothel with me, but here we go. So um, when I when I would have Too many a client in the brothel. <laughs> oh. But, okay, uh, moving on. Um, so uh, when I <laughs> when I would have a client who is like a repeated client over years, sometimes it became this thing where the per- where you would just end up essentially being like a friend who knew that I needed something and I knew that he needed something, and it was like always felt like the most honest, direct. Uh, kind of work that I ever did in my entire life because it was completely not one-sided at all. We both had Mm -hmm. conversations about needs and um, it was uh, totally dynamic. It changed each time perhaps, you know, um, and there was an openness to discussing the terms each time. And so that was like some of the best circumstances. Both needs were being seen and met. But then as we, so I'm thinking of that as like, the kind of perfect ideal situation for somebody, not, not sex work for everybody, but like it in my life, that's like the ideal situation where it's not one-sided at all. There's open conversation. But then as we scale up in any sense, so whether you have that in sex work or something else, as you scale up in any sense, it seems like there is need for this extra um, mediating system or this rhythmic system or whatever, at what point does that become necessary? Or is it actually happening in a way that maybe I'm not seeing in those original transactions that actually there is the presence of a Mm -hmm. sort of mediating um, system there or what? Uh, Like why couldn't they just do it with each other? Why couldn't the investors? So so what you're describing and, and this is, there's no, I'm, Please hear it. There's no judgment in this. It's more of like, when does something actually become economic? Mm. And when you're in a barter system, that is an exchange system. And what you've described is a very beautiful picture of an exchange system, but it's not yet economic because there's a direct um, connection between uh, need and provision. Mm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as soon as you add a third party, and you can then create specialization within that, right? You begin to move into a picture of how economic life works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so, you're, so, so you're saying the presence of the mediating, uh, I, maybe mediating isn't the right word, but you're saying that that's actually what brings it into the economic sphere. Uh, it, it be, well... <laughs> I mean, to some degree, uh, uh-huh. um, and I'd be very interested to hear Connor's picture, to some degree, the money is a, an intermediary picture because that is the uh, agreement, uh-huh, uh-huh. right? Uh, in other words, money represents an agreement of value. A dollar is a dollar. That's just an agreement. It's fiat. We make that up. So so it is an intermediary. It's a, sh- it's a shared mutual understanding of value. So it does hold that shared picture. Okay, so then it is economic then, though, because no, were, no, okay. no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just saying the, the, the exchange of money itself is one of the pieces, uh, the technology which becomes uh-huh. economic when uh-huh. there's not a direct correlation, right? And actually, somebody gets to be, you know, the really person who's really good at making shirts, and somebody who's really good at making shoes, and somebody who's really good at growing food, and suddenly an exchange happens that actually mm-hmm. allows. Uh, particular gifts to show in 
uh, in the economy that then be builds division of labor efficiencies and all of the rest. And that's where the economic life emerges. Uh, yeah. So, so I, barter, bartering is kind of pre-economic in a way. Yeah. So I'll let Connor jump in in a second, but I just yeah. want to say that's really an interesting way to frame it. I think because it does explain why um, sex work, as well as other things, what it could be. Well, there there are other services that could be uh, threatening to the economic order, and why they're uh, made illegal in so many cases because it's saying that work can occur through uh, sort of what you're saying is pre-economic, but it can, it can, mm-hmm. it can occur without uh, the <laughs> without the assistance of the uh, larger social agreement in a way, right? So like, right. and so, so that erodes what, that erodes the view that people are getting even paid for their labor. Like, it, it, right. it, yeah, okay, got it. So in the gift, in a, in a, uh, a, a gift exchange, right? The circulation of gift, the, the ancient tradition of potlatch, you do not have an intermediary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm which is one of the reasons why economists rarely show gift in, uh, in, t- in economics textbooks. Can't uh, put their heads around it. Uh, or, or, or maybe it's actually just the mediate, maybe it's just the mediate, the intermediary itself. Like maybe the barter is in its own way when it stands alone like that rhythmic, because it is a kind of breathing. It is a kind of mm-hmm. inhalation and exhalation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry, Connor, did you want to jump in there? <laughs> No, I mean, like, I mean, like all that kind of strikes me is that um, that where they kind of intermediary may come in, it's it's about scale, like, like it's where yes, yes, and also where it becomes genuinely and truly anonymous, where you're, where where people who don't know each other but are trying to get into this kind of situation, you know, and also on scale. I mean, like it's one thing trying to set up people who like may have five thousand dollars to invest somewhere it's different when it's five million you know mm. and um you know so so and like people want a trusted you know kind of system there for that in terms of your own kind of um example uh just your own kind of example there kind of connor um like like what struck me was that you know that you know this is a this was a um a you know an exchange where there was in huge familiarity there to it. And that, um, like, for me, when we get to, at a, you know, at a kind of societal level, it's about how do we interact? How do we share these things when we don't know each other? And, and you know, where where we're not dealing with just people who are seen kind of face to face. And that's mm. where kind of wider kind of societal structures kind of come in, uh, where, where they kind of come into place and more kind of organizational structures then come into place, you know, does that, does yeah. that, yeah, that well, tell you, like, like a feel that I've, I, I, I've kind of missed the board with your point there or something. Have I? Or? No, no, no. It's really, it's really interesting because like, if you think about how the transactions begin, mm. it's like the person might have killed me. Right or might have been a cop, yeah. so because I was only doing this work years ago when I lived in 
San Francisco. So the person might have killed me. They might have been a cop, right? So I actually had to set up all kinds of organizational systems to mediate that exchange. Uh, yes, I yes. told my friends, yeah. right? I told my, you know, I like I had somebody that I could call, you know, that would check in on me when it was over. Like I talked to other people who were hustling about like, do you know this person, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then you would go into the situation. But that's really interesting to me as to your point, because over time, like what happened if someone became familiar to me gradually over mm. time in that embrace of money and economy, um, we were able to dispose of the structures that were necessary for mediation. Mm -hmm. And yeah. moved into something. So yeah. in some ways it's pre-economy, in some ways it's post-economy. <laughs> well, it's a multi-currency economy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Because you also have, there's a reputational currency that you're developing as well, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. And that as that reputational currency went up, the need for more protections went down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. Okay. <laughs> I didn't mean to seize it from you there, John. I know you were talking about uh, the, 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 the mediation and getting people uh, in relationship to each other, but I was interested in when that had to step in. And so sure, it, sure. Un unfamiliarity and scale seem to be so, the question here because, you know, as we sort of tried to develop new ways of relating in money and with it and in economy, you know, we're doing that on multiple levels, whether it's with our neighbors now um, mm. or, you know, if, if there's mutual aid stuff going on or, you know, we want to do it in our uh, district or whatever. And then also obviously a world stage, we will, you know, need to think about how, our larger economies relate to the world. Yeah, you're right. You mentioned Elon Musk. He wanted to go to Mars, but actually, we are in <laughs> yeah. <laughs> multiple yeah. worlds economy. Yeah, <laughs> um, but Elon in fact, you know, we are we're in a we're living in a limited resource one world situation from an economic standpoint. We're not. We don't have unlimited resources. It's a closed loop. Like I mean, like I mean, uh, like um, on that idea of kind of economics and and, and kind of transactions, uh, like, like I think that what has been interesting with the COVID nineteen kind of situation is that um, non economic, non capitalist payment economic kind of systems such as care have really come to the fore because mm -hmm. like now that we've been shut down, we kind of realized that what keeps our society kind of taking over is, is not, is not what the, the kind of paid economists, uh, you know, on TV say it's care work, it's social work. It's the, uh, it's like low pay. It's, it's at the moment kind of low pay kind of work as well. So like, it's interesting that even in terms of what is seen as being economically beneficial and necessarily and, 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 and necessary is not actually what keeps societies going. <laughs> and, um, and that, you know, this gets into the, the extremely rich kind of vein of feminist economics and social, and social, and social, social like reproduction. But they are fascinating kind of ideas in, in terms of money, like in, like in Ireland, and I'll use kind of just the like Irish um, 
example. Um, we have, there are around 350,000 people um, in Ireland who are doing care work that is non-paid. So they're doing mm. kind of non-paid kind of care work. And, you know, it, it, it's a population of like four and a half million people. So it's roughly one in 10, kind of one in 12 of, of, of the population is doing kind of this work. If that, if that work was, was compensated at a kind of a minimum wage kind of level, it, it, it would be around eight to 10 billion a year to, to actually pay for that. What that tells me is that that's not a cost of eight to, to, to 10 billion. That for me is we have eight to 10 billion minimum wage now. So it's, it's, it's more, but eight to 10 billion of work that has been done for free that lowers the, the kind of tax obligations of companies who would have to be taxed to actually pay for that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and that's just one example. And that's just care. If you get into child rearing, if you get into other forms of social, of social interaction, if, if we paid a living wage for kind of, for kind of minimum wage kind of workers who are actually keeping our kind of countries going at this minute, um, where would the profit incentive for for capitalism? Where would it fall then? You know, it, it would be under pressure. It needs all this work that is done seemingly outside of the money system. Um, but if it wasn't there, the economic system itself just just literally couldn't function. Ooh, wow! Um, <laughs> you just lifted a little off a rather huge conversation. Um, that could go everywhere from the foundation of U.S. capitalism and slavery. Yes, exactly. You and, know, I mean, right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. To to the fact that um, uh, the structure or how we have structured economic life, in other words, where we place value, what is monetized, um, is rather skewed to. Um, skipping from slavery to another place is rather skewed to the human being's work as a commodity. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's through the entire system. How is it that, um, uh, you know, a doctor who's of course, you know, managing people's lives day in and day out gets, gets $300,000 a year and a teacher, by the way, who's also affecting people's lives for, you know, into perpetuity in a way, gets paid uh, maybe 70000 a year. That's probably generous, but, uh, you know, where did that value system come from that we prize one profession over another that has nothing to do with the cost of living, has nothing to do with, you know, human needs, has nothing to do with shelter, housing, and other, it's just somehow or other, um, we have placed a prize on certain activities, the most extreme of which is... Um, a very famous baseball player, sorry for using a baseball metaphor in the land of soccer, but I'll do it anyway. Um, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, in baseball, uh, a very famous baseball player, Barry Bonds, would come to bat. And every time he came to bat, 523, you know, at bats in a year, uh, it was about a million dollars a time at bat for seven pitches. Uh, how, that's a professional athlete how did we get to such a skewed picture of the nature of compensation mm-hmm. unless it's uh, uh, unless it's pure commodity driven? In other words, supply, demand, however you want to look at that. It's just, yeah. it is a crazy system that has so distorted all of the rest 
everything else is distorted because of that. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, uh, just on that kind of point around kind of the the, the kind of doctor, um, like the capitalist uh, logic, how he uses kind of money, it cannot make money from health. It's impossible. You cannot use a kind of capitalist logic and still run a kind of health system. So what it did mm. was, to, and I, I make money from it. So it invented in insurance. So mm. how it makes money, how it makes money from health mm-hmm. is not from the hospitals because it's too expensive for any kind of investor. If you just, if you were just to run a hospital as a private hospital and charge people the, 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 the cost of that service each and every time, you, you would have no customers. To, right. Like, well, you so have, you have to invent customers from around the world. <laughs> yeah. So you, so you invent insurance. Insurance is there to turn a non-capitalist economic activity or kind of social activity into a kind of profit-seeking one, uh, because it, it it puts barriers to entry, and yeah. then that's how it then kind of makes kind of its uh, its money from it. Like like one of the f- funniest things. Well, funny is a is a very stupid word, but one of the interesting things. At the moment, is that from what I've read, is that a lot of U.S. kind of hospitals are losing money at this moment because there's more sick people, right? Because because <laughs> because you cannot make money in a health system that is privatized from sick people. You you only make money from well people who are not using the like system who you charge right. for. for <laughs> for not using it. It's only when people start using it that you, that actually falls down. That's a capitalist logic here. It's a crazy one. That is bashing yes. crazy. And um, so, like, that's when it gets into, we have, going back to the point around alternatives, one of the things I love is that we have alternatives. We have non-capitalist forms of social activity happening at the moment. Just using John's point from the earlier on, the alternatives are all kind of around us. This is where... I use that image of of capitalism as an invasion, as a virus. It only makes money from what it can make money from, and everything else it just throws to the wind. And mm. if it can't, it puts up barriers then for it. So health, it's a wonderful example because there is no capitalist health system. It's a capitalist health insurance system because mm-hmm. that, it, it can only make money if you don't use it. If you use kind of the like health system, it doesn't make money anymore. That's mad. Yeah. Well, it, it is basically um, like any mining industry, right? Uh, you are taking a a gifted natural resource. Health mm. is a natural resource. We could look at it in that way, and you are trying to figure out how to commoditize it and extract value from it. Yes. And the only way to do that, right, is is to create an insurance modality because you can't actually value the health itself. I don't know how you would do that. Hmm. How would you put a price on health? Well, like, you know, as an example of, if we have this idea of, you know, that, that capitalism, it's a wonderful way of allocating and using scarce, scarce, scarce kind of resources. This is like capitalism makes money. Capital expands through enclosure. That's how it actually makes money. Right. It, it, yep. It's a it's a weird kind of paradox. It 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 it, it expands by 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 gates by putting yep. gates on things and then like charge and entry then into that as <laughs> so well. Would, that's not a that's not a rational like 
objective use of humankind resources. No, I would agree. It's I, it's and, and I way. think I would also argue that it's, it's not the capital itself, it's the ism part that is the mm. problem. Right. Yeah, I was hoping you would actually get back to that because I know, <laughs> you know, Rudolf Steiner says this thing about capital is the spirit of, <laughs> of the economic sphere. And so that would be very contentious, I think, for some people who, you know, had leftist values to hear because they would want to, you know, well, I mean, we're informed by a book that tells them otherwise, which is called Capital. <laughs> so um, I, the thing I really fear is, one, of course, just sort of going back to how things were before, but um, in this total austerity way that's coupled with this awful technocracy, um, you know, 30,000 satellites making a 5G web around, you know, the country and, you know, like AI medicine and, you know, robot bees and all that kind of shit. So, I, so I'm worried about that. But I'm also worried about like the pathways that we have forward um, that are offered to us are these kinds of, um, you know, this is maybe a mean way of saying it, but these like systems like socialism or libertarianism or whatever that are based on abstractions. And, you know, I think that part of that is based on not asking a question, which is a spiritual or what, however else you might want to frame that in your life if you don't want to take on spirituality, but a spiritual question about the nature of capital itself without the ism. So maybe we can um, go there as a way of thinking about what needs to be retained or sort of um, how, how we can grow something out of uh, what's happening now, rather than just kind of trying to egotistically just destroy the whole thing, because that also mm. won't work. Yeah. Hmm. So, by the way, a question is also spiritual. Uh huh. <laughs> I mean, uh, unless you can weigh it and measure it and put a value on it and uh, uh, show me where it exactly exists, I'm saying it's not material. So it must be. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not immaterial because you've asked a really good question. <laughs> Um, yeah i mean i think you know where we are is has shown us what i would say what the the a near pinnacle of um what can be accomplished through materialist thinking which is the problem with capitalism because it's turned it into a thing right or it's turned capital into a thing. That's the ism part. So that's part A. Part B is what work could we imagine doing that would decommodify capital? So it's no longer a thing. Decommodify land or all natural resources and decommodify labor. Um, If we could accomplish those three things, we would actually find uh, uh, the wisdom of the human being present to be able to find economic life, right? That isn't about things, but it's about how we meet needs. So working with things and developing things, meeting real needs, and you know, inevitably a money, some kind of money system or accounting system will develop out of that activity, simply out of the efficiency needed to do that. It's a beautiful social technology, as Connor, you know, started out with, and I think we're sort of there in a way. 
Um, so any forms like community supported agriculture is a way of decommodifying both land, labor and capital, all of the above. So there are systems, the whole emergence uh, of the co-op system, right? Cooperatives are a, an approach to creating systems that are um, decommodifying or changing the framework of ownership that isn't in sense self-centered, but in fact, community centric, right? So mm -hmm. mutuality, um, it used to be that insurance companies like mutual of uh, these big uh, Phoenix mutual, mutual Omaha, these are huge US insurance companies. They're no longer mutual. They've been demutualized and turned into, you know, stock companies long, well, maybe in the last 20, 25 years. But before that, they actually operated out of a, a mutual system. So we've seen such a shift to extractive, um, extractive practices. Yeah, if I can call it that. So, you know, I, it's not at all surprising to me that that the whole notion of universal basic income has surfaced now. Not that I'm necessarily a big fan of it, but it does speak to the separation of labor from compensation, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And and in that, it, it's it's an interesting consciousness that is emerging, saying maybe we need to rethink about how people are, you know. Because there won't be any jobs. Well, I mean, I, I do worry that actually there are jobs will be to produce data for uh, the ways that we're being directed to use the universal basic income. So in the same ways that, you know, I mean, people worry so much about surveillance, like the government's going to listen to my conversations, but actually like really what to worry about is you know, data gathering, um, so you will be directed and manipulated into buying certain things. And I do think that um, that will be the kind of worker we are, even if it's unpaired, and that actually the universal basic income, which I am also very highly suspicious of, will be used in a way that is directed, um, encourages us to do work, even when we think we're not doing work, and also um, will have punitive measures um, related to it and limited uh, limited directionality, so, like we can only spend so it on certain things. what you're speaking to, though, is um, what you're speaking to is the very problem that I was pointing to with the financial system with, if that is issued by one central authority, mm -hmm. we have a problem. Yep. <laughs> because then it's built into the structure of where that authority is. Um, mm. During the Great Depression um, in the U.S., there were some 400 currencies at work in various and sundry communities across the United States. People, there was no money, so people had to figure out how, uh, how to create means of exchange. In some cases, they were shells that people wrote things on. Uh, pieces of paper, there was script that was developed, all sorts of inventions, true social inventions um, that uh, served the need for people to get by to meet their economic needs, which of course was as simple as unused resources and unmet needs. That's what the core of economic life is. And the script is simply it's just a, a memorializing Memorial Day here, memorializing the the value of that exchange so that it could be continued through the whole system. So uh, after after the Great Depression, uh, the government basically made such currencies illegal because mm -hmm. they wanted the you know central bank to 
basically be the only issuer. What was lost at that moment, right? In terms of the kinds of currencies that had been developed that were so unique to place to the culture that they were in. Yeah. I mean, the whole settlement movement and people caring for each other, mutual aid networks. I mean, uh, we're, I think we may be headed back in that way. Right. Well, uh, to bring it to Ireland, you know, I mean, it's really interesting. Like, even when you show, uh, <laughs> I went to a store that was selling um, the old Irish, older Irish coins, and they all had animals on them, you know. Mm-hmm. And the person I was with was looking at them, and they're all Irish, you know, indigenous animals. Um, and he expressed such sadness at seeing them because, and, and I think it was surprising, even on an aesthetic soul level in that way the connectivity to a currency that somehow relates to you you know is really profound you know i think in ways that people don't realize that they're carrying around you know well back to connor's original point it is a language it is Mm -hmm. an expression it is a human expression right yeah. yeah, I mean, um, like, if can just kind of jump in with just kind of just a few kind of um, observations, really. But like, on the jobs thing, like, I mean, like, like, like for me, there's no such thing. Like, unemployment is artificial. Uh, <laughs> that is completely artificial. It's it's a scarcity. That's a you know that's a nature of kind of capitalism, and and. And going back to the point I made around the three hundred and fifty thousand carers, unpaid carers in 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 Ireland, these are people who are working full time as carers and then also working as well in in in, in like many time, uh, you know in many cases. So they're working seventy eighty hours a week in their job job plus their kind of care work job. Now that work is unpaid because capital doesn't think that if it invested in it it would make a return from it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only reason why. That's the only reason why uh, private capital hasn't gone near it. And, but this isn't an option. We know that if this work isn't done, that, that various kind of social structures will start to kind of break down. So this isn't work. So this is work that is socially necessary, but, uh, but in the way that that money is allocated in 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 like our societies um, at a macro level, is through private markets and it's true what their kind of investors think should or should not will or or or, or, or like will not give them their annualized three percent kind of return over ten or or or, or 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 like fifty years. So in terms of work and another kind of example is in terms of arts and kind of creative work. Um, Again, something that COVID nineteen has really kind of brought home to us. Like, and like one of the things that was always kind of brought up is that you know there are three kind of basic needs of all of kind of humans: it's food, clothes, uh, food, uh, clothing, and uh, and like shelter. Well, like COVID nineteen has has shown that there's a fort, and it's like having the crack. Like, it's like having fun because like you look at like social media, and it's just people just look at TikTok. Like people are just using they're using this not to monitor what some are but the vast majority of people are using memes or making memes 
or they're using kind of TikTok and they're making kind of silly videos, not to monetize that in the vast majority of the cases, but to have the crack, like just to have fun, because that is also a human need. Right. It has to be kind of addressed. Now, like that, I think kind of speaks to the, like, is that spiritual? Well, it's not kind of material, you know? So, right. you know, there's something around what we're told as being our needs are not like it's been fascinating just in the last kind of three, four months mm-hmm. in a lockdown, finding mm-hmm. out what actually are our needs. And, and our needs are each other. Mm-hmm. That's a huge part of our needs. So there's our there's an economic social system speak to that in some cases, yes, and in, in, in a lot of cases, no. Arts in Ireland is disgracefully. Mm. underfunded but it's something that has a basic human need it's a need one to tell your story in whatever way you want be that you know as a narrative or as a captain beefheart song but but you're still telling it in your own way um and the other thing is to listen and enjoy that and actually have some fun with it Mm -hmm. so fun joy laughter um wasting time is a huge part well wasting time that well sorry doing nothing Mm-hmm. is a massive part of of our needs. Just like sitting around doing nothing and enjoying doing nothing. Mm-hmm. So all these things that are actually not something that we can put to one side. We know now that we need these things. We need fun. We need play. Right. These are these are human needs. And if, if they're not addressed, then we suffer either mentally or and in and 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 in kind of other ways, we need to make things. Even if those things are jokes, we still need to mm. make. Interesting. Re- or really, really, uh, really bad puns, um, John. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, Connor, I just came up with a whole new field. It's called the the economics of serendipity. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, what do you think? <laughs> no, it's true. Good. You know, no. Well, as we would say here, you know, having the crack, like you know. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, just so, I was wondering if you would know what that meant, John, and you'd be like, is he saying crack? Like, do crack? But no, um, I, I still am trying to figure out what that word means exactly. It has a lot of different. Yeah, it's very nuanced though, sometimes. I, but, I have a feeling it has an aspect of mischievousness. Too. Yeah. It's, oh, definitely, definitely. It's, <laughs> even when you say it, you have to have your tongue placed firmly in your cheek, as you say. <laughs> um, and a big wink as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, so maybe I just... Say, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, John. No, just, uh, for me, I think the, the worst case scenario of a capitalist system so to bring it back to that is when, and we saw this in 2008, we're, we're going to see it, we're seeing it now, and we will see it again, and it has a lot to do with unemployment charts, et cetera, it is uh, privatizing profit and socializing debt and losses. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Those two things, if you're going to privatize the profit, why aren't you privatizing the losses? This is what I don't get. <laughs> and um, so when you start using, abusing a system and become inconsistent with it, then, then one, you, it's irresponsible, it's unethical, and it actually is socially totally counterproductive, mm-hmm. socially and ecologically, which we yeah. know to be true. So I, I just appreciate how you were, were framing that. But for me, it is this, how do we work the system to get the social, so, uh, we privatize the profit that's for me. And, you know, the rest of you just bear it. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, you know, so yeah. people providing care don't get paid. Yeah. That, if, 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 like maybe just to kind of bring in kind of one more kind of small point on that, like, like in a capitalism, 
in terms of work, um, it doesn't see kind of care work as being work as kind of employment. It doesn't, it, you know, um, it doesn't pay for it because it's the trying to work out how to, you know, how to monetize it at that kind of large scale outside of like care homes, but like, you know, how does it do it outside, you know, outside of them. But yet it has worked out how to monetize influencers on like Instagram. How is right. that a job? How is that work? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, like you know, how how can any system say that care work is 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 not worth like effort in terms of investment? But we have influencers on like Instagram, and and because that that can be monetized, it's seen as a as a useful activity for for any human being now to make. Mm. You know, I mean, that's crazy. Reputational currency. Reputational currency only because it, it, you right. know it, you know it can be monetized. Right under you know a- anything can be monetized, but can be monetized for a return. Right, which is for which for Instagram is not the influencer; it's for Instagram itself. You know how to make money from Instagram. You know as an investor in that product. You know, I think that I think that there's just just to um, go back real quickly to. John's point about privatizing losses. There has been that. Um, no, privatizing. Profit. No, no, I know, I know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were saying you were privatizing the debt, not losses, right? So, but like there, you know, there's been some, uh, there's been some movement, I think, and some public, you know, mo- so, some idea there that at least leans towards that um, a little bit. Uh, there was, I'm not going to say his name right, but it's, um, Chamath Palahapatia. Do you guys know about this? Where he was on? Right, not no. Uh, he's on Fox News, and the guy was like, "So we, we, he's he's an entrepreneur. He's a social capital CEO, and uh, he was on Fox News, and someone said, "So you're saying uh, that we should just let the airlines fail?" And he says, "Yes." And there's this moment of silence, like where the guy. <laughs> <laughs> the news is like waiting oh, I for him. I did see that. I did yes. see that. And he yes. says, oh, they don't, they don't get the summer in the Hamptons. Who cares? You know, he's like, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a very like daring moment, especially coming mm-hmm. from someone in the social sphere in the way that he is as a social capital CEO, right? So right. It, it's, it's just, there's a, there's a bit of that voice, you know, that would help us create some coherence around that kind of stuff rising up. And, I mean, as far as the Instagram stuff, it's like, I I guess, you know, (laughs) or maybe, maybe this isn't that much about the Instagram stuff. We'll see. But I, I, like one of the ways I try to get people to reframe their approach to labor is to say to them, okay, well, what, you know, is, is to pull it, pull it back into rights and pull it back into culture and spirituality and so forth and say, okay, well, what, instead of seeing what you want your job to be um, or how much you want to get paid or whatever, can you ask yourself a question of what you want your day to look like? How do you want mm-hmm. your day? What, what do you want the content of your day to be? I mean, interestingly, like some people can say, well, it's what I do now and that relates to um, how I make money and so forth. And I would imagine that that's what some of those Instagram influencers are doing. Yeah. So not, it may not, have been a bit of a cheap shot. I know. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was, but I, <laughs> but I, appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate it. Cause you're not, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. Cause you're actually talking about the social 
response to them, but like not mm-hmm. to lump them in with the you know the wrong response and the wrong sort of flow to them of value and all that sort of stuff um, when it's you know not being distributed properly. But I just think um, you know, and and lots of people you know uh, on the other hand you know can become nurses who just hate going in every single day and they don't really want to help people. I mean, that's a, mm. <laughs> you know, so that's the sort of flip side of that, I suppose. But I think, you know, um, these kinds of reorienting questions, um, like you said, where it's community shared agriculture, you know, having community shared medicine or community shared, you know, whatever else it might be, community shared uh, ideas and uh, decommodifying land and labor. Um, and what was the and other capital. one? And capital. And capital. <laughs> yeah, mm. Oh yeah. The big one. <laughs> I mean, they're all big, but you know, um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think having these reorienting questions is a way to go. I mean, I guess as we sort of close out, I guess I would just like, what's something that people can do when they're listening, you know, now going forward in their own lives. I mean, they're asking these questions, but also where they, where can they direct their, their sort of inner attention or their outward action or their feelings. What, the, what can they do to direct that for themselves? Because this is, I mean, it, it's urgently needed. I mean, this reevaluation is urgently needed. So, um, and it can't just be left to others, you know? Yeah. So uh, maybe I'll jump in and give the honors to, to Connor to, to close with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to um, home field advantage, I think it's called. Um, Better be good, Connor. Better be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so two things. One is um, um, to encourage wherever anybody works to switch how they compensate people from um, um, basically you work two weeks and you get paid for the work, the two weeks you just worked, which is commoditizing labor to being paid at the beginning of that two weeks. Uh, and then you come to work for those two weeks. And the point is that actually you're receiving compensation so that you can pay your rent and buy food or otherwise that then frees you up to come and bring your best to work because you're not getting paid for the work then, right? Mm. So that's a very simple way with prospective pay. It's a very simple way of disconnecting work from, from the compensation. So that, that, you know, that's just a very small beginning, but it's a beginning statement. And for me, the second is to, when you go to the bank, ask the teller where your money's working uh, while it's, you know, with the bank and before you withdraw it again. So, and if you can't get an answer, ask the manager. And if you can't get an answer from the manager, ask to talk to the whoever, you know, the VP is and just say, I want to know where my money's working. It's my money. It's not your money. It's my money. I'd like to know what you're doing with it. And if you can't get a satisfactory answer, find another bank until you do get a satisfactory answer. <laughs> it's a- I think it's awesome. And I also think that's an endless quest in Ireland for sure, right? Yeah, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good one. Imagine going to AIB and then Bank of Ulster and then uh, Bank of Ireland. I just love the fact that, excuse me, can you tell me where my money's working when, you know, you're <laughs> accepting it here? Could, could, you know, and you get tellers to go like, uh, right? It's to the good. manager, they won't know. And, the, no. you know, just stay with it until there's some consciousness in the system of saying, exactly. yeah, actually, we're investing in, you know, we're investing in armaments. Uh, I want my money. I don't want anything more to do this. And you go tell everybody that that's what you heard. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. It's like bringing it to the people that are contributing. Yeah. That's great. Well, it's, it's bringing consciousness to what is deliberately unconscious. Yeah. Well, and you, I mean, and just to add to that, you have this great uh, line, which is every financial transaction is an opportunity to awaken consciousness. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Connor. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I mean, like, like what I find is that, um, like, I don't think that there's any kind of deficit of ideas or energy out there at this moment. Um, it like, this has been kind of recorded on the second anniversary of the kind of referendum held in Ireland that, that made abortion legal. So two years and like one day ago, um, ab- you know, um, abortion was illegal in Ireland uh, for penalties of up to, I think it was, was it seven years or 14 years for, for women if they were, you know, or no, for, and for doctors if they engaged in it. Um, totally kind of barbaric. But what I've noticed in the last, since that moment, is that um, just from an Irish uh, perspective, there's an incredible energy um with you know in this kind of generation this kind of art this art this art this generation at this moment i'm just feeding off so like like in terms of what like in terms of what i would bring to the table in terms of uh, what people should do or maybe can think of i'd say i'm just blown away by this kind of generation i'm just fascinated by what they're doing and the fact that they don't really care what middle-aged kind of folks like me kind of um, say or like think and I, and I think that is absolutely wonderful. I hope that they'd listen to the analysis and that, that I give and hopefully that'll feed into their things but like like um, in the last kind of five years we uh, have, Ireland has has brought in equal marriage, um, it's legalised abortion this generation and they've smashed the old two party system in Ireland mm. as well, and they're not even thirty, and they've done all of that. Like I am just going to enjoy what they're going to get themselves up to because they, because they're only getting started. So in terms of that's not me trying to cop out of not having any ideas. That's just me being kind of a contrarian and saying that um, I'll bring analysis to it. I'll I'll write books. I'll do my usual stuff. But like in terms of ideas, I'm just fascinated by what by what yeah, by by where they're going. I never, like, I remember campaigning for abortion in the 1980s. The idea that this would happen, even in my lifetime, I just thought Ireland is too Catholic. It, it'll just never happen. I was, uh, like, in tears again at that moment because it was just so absolutely wonderful. So, like, where they're going with it, I'm going to enjoy just the ride and actually see where they go with it. Like, you know, because I mean, this, this is fascinating and they are open to ideas and they are open to kind of alternative ones. And just to kind of, maybe to kind of um, bounce off what kind of John said, like, you know, certainly I think that from a leftist kind of, uh, you know, point of view, it is worth exploring, you know, these kind of, what are, are there non-capitalist forms of ownership? You know, and, you know, how should we kind of play these out? And, you know, does that mean social ownership, local ownership, um, mutuals? But let's kind of rediscover non-capitalist forms of like social ownership and see, do, do these fit in with our ambitions? You know? mm-hmm. 
So. Yeah, uh, and that and that ties in with something you said once, which is uh, a, revolu- a revolutionary situation makes its own rules, right? So, like, <laughs> you're deferring in some ways to process here, you know, um, and the the possibilities and the potentiality of the processes that are going on, and I think that that's mm-hmm. really beautiful. You know, we, we there was the gay marriage. Uh, referendum here, uh, which was just celebrated as an anniversary not too long ago, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I I have serious problems as a gay man with gay marriage in general. But the thing that's mm-hmm. really astounding to me about what happened here is that it was not a court-driven no uh, initiative. What happened was people knocked on their neighbors' doors and on the doors of strangers. And they had a conversation, they talked, and then the people listened to conversations about love and desire. And that, in it, that is revolutionary. And I think that yeah. those, you know, wh- whatever the ends of that were, like that is truly transformative. And I love that, I mean, I don't think it's a cop out at all. Like, I think you're, you're handing it off to the tremendous yeah, I mean, like, potential yeah, I mean, of that. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you know, like you know, these weren't Roe versus Wade. You know what I mean? Right. Like these are brought in by by a, by by kind of plebiscite, by a popular vote, and two thirds in each case voted for it and actually said, "Wherever you know what, knock yourselves out here, lads. Have you know, have some fun with this. You know, mm-hmm. you know." And and that's what I found. Like after after the kind of gay marriage, equal marriage kind of vote, wherever I remember kind of waking up to that kind of, um, that result, which we thought would be extremely close. And it wasn't even close. It was, it, it was a landslide. And I was thinking, I do not know my own society. I have preconceived <laughs> ideas of what Ireland is and it's moved on. And then three years later, abortion in Ireland, like, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, so, and now they've gotten rid of the Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, um, you know, a Punch and Judy show. You know, we, you know, there's a two-party system, and it's a bit like, uh, it, well, was up until recently, where two parties that are basically just two kind of centre-right parties would kind of swap who's in power, and mm-hmm. um, and that's been broken now. You know, in 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 terms of a vote, whatever. So whatever's going on, I do not have the intelligence to have a <laughs> have a to actually kind of grasp that, and I'm too old now because I'm not. Of the generation, <laughs> but what I will do is that I'll I'll try and and bring some analysis, and hopefully that might feed into their ambitions, because like where to go with this, forever This is going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, I think I think it's awesome, and I think you know if we've learned anything in the past two and a half, three months, is that the entire world can change in a very short period of time. Yes. yes. Yeah, you yeah. know. Yep. Um, so uh, that note uh which we can make as hopeful as we like thanks guys